Hey everybody, Cantori here, and it's uh, great to be back with you. Happy New Year. More on that in just a bit. We'll also we'll also be talking to Ernie Hahn, the former GM of the San Diego Sports Arena, current CEO of Hahn Entertainment, brought you the Del Mar Wine and uh, Food Fest last year with the folks over at San Diego Magazine. But today, Ernie's stopping by to talk about his dad. Ron Hahn, who recently passed and leaves behind a huge legacy here in the city of San Diego. But before we get to that, if you're ready to make a real estate move, now, don't get, I, I didn't get my real estate license. I'm not out there hawking real estate, by, but I have teamed up with an organization here in town by the name of CaliforniaVibes.net. And if you're ready to make a real estate move, now would be the time to visit CaliforniaVibes.net. It's a new year filled with new opportunities. And over at CaliforniaVibes.net, they specialize in buying and selling distinctive homes for exceptional people like yourself. So if you visit CaliforniaVibes.net, fill out the form, you start working with them. I'll tell you what, I'll hook you up with some concert tickets. How about that? True story. CaliforniaVibes.net. Tell them Cantori sent ya. And speaking of concert tickets, if you go to you, YEWonline.com, and hit the contest page, currently giving away some tickets to uh, Third Eye Blind. Let me see here. I'll pull up the page as we speak. Third Eye Blind's coming to town, and we're giving away tickets. They'll be here with Yellow Card, and that show is happening this summer, Friday, June 21st, over at the North Island Credit Union Amphitheater down in Chula Vista. You can win these tickets now if you fill out the form on the contest page, youonline.com. And then we also have a pair of tickets to see Hosier. Or is it Hosier? Hosier. Who was just in town last year, did the uh, play downtown at Petco. Heard it was an amazing show. Coming back to town... Saturday, September 14th, later in the year, over at the North Island Credit Union Amphitheater. And we're also giving away a pair of tickets to that show. And then I think we're going to be giving away some Bush tickets with Jerry Cantrell. So lots of concert tickets coming your way. And again, YEWonline.com. Hit the concert page. We'll take care of you. So it is a new year, which is a trip. 2023. I don't know about you, but uh, it wasn't the most uh, productive year for me professionally on, uh, you know, on a different level as far as personal growth, mindfulness, learning lessons from relationships, be it friendships or professional or maybe family, but uh, learned a lot in that capacity. But as it relates to you know professional, yeah, I had things going on for sure active, and I, I'm not looking back and beating myself up thinking, oh, it could have been more successful or more productive because I'm starting to look at the new year differently. And I wanted to share this with you because I always used to take the new year, uh, you know, use it as a, all right, this is a restart. This is the beginning. It's the new me, you know, the whole new year, new you deal. I no longer am going to start or put these expectations on myself like January 1st, a whole new version of me. It's like, no, no. 
what grows in the dead of winter? I know we're here in San Diego, or a lot of us are. I know the weather's beautiful, but in you know, the majority of the country and the world, this isn't a time for growth. This is a time of hibernation, planting seeds, germinating. The real growth happens in the spring, where I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves at the beginning of the year to do the, this reinvention and work out and quit this and quit that and new mindset. Right, that takes time. That's a slow roll. And I think it's great to acknowledge it maybe, you know, at the beginning of the year, new year, but don't put the pressure on yourself because a lot of times it's like, you know, for example, I'm going to lose 30 pounds by April. And then what happens? You lose 25, I wish, but uh, you don't hit that mark. And then because you don't hit that mark, you just give up or you just get hit with shame and guilt to the point where you put all that weight back on. Where if it was just more of a loose, you know, I'm going to lose weight this year. I'm going to have, you know, it's more of an intention than setting a goal is what it comes down to. I'm really working on that right now. And I hope it helps you setting intentions versus goals where if we don't hit them, we beat ourselves up. At least I do. And then in the same breath, not putting this pressure on ourselves to reinvent right at the beginning of the new year. Because this is a time where we're planting seeds, we're germinating, and let the growth happen in the spring when everything grows and blossoms and produces fruit. We see the fruit from our labor, and then the summer hits. We're enjoying it. Fall, I don't want to get too far ahead because that produces anxiety. All right, so today we're talking to Ernie Hahn. Looking forward to this uh, discussion because uh, his dad deserves to be recognized based on his accomplishments, certainly here in San Diego and the influence he's had on, on my friend Ernie here. Before we get to that quickly, though, do want to also thank our friends at Baja Bound Mexican Auto Insurance. If you're heading down south of the border, I have many friends that are living there full time these days. What's up, JT? Kino? Who else? Zane, Kiki, got a lot of homies down there. But uh, if you're planning on heading south of the border to visit your friends, surf trip, lobster, wine, whatever, Baja Bound Mexican Auto Insurance. They'll protect you and all your belongings. Okay, let's talk to Ernie Hahn. But we're not talking about Wonderfront or his Del Mar Fest or anything he has going on in that world. We're here to talk about his dad. How are you, Ernie? Morning, Chris. How are you? Yeah, that's kind of a loaded question. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm doing great today, but I'm sure for you, well, for everybody, it's day-to-day, but I'm sure in your world, now more than ever, it's really day-to-day. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's been a lot of personal things over the last couple of years that I've been dealing with. Um, and then recently, just my dad, uh, a week ago, on, uh, on the 9th of uh, January, passed away. So he had been sick for about a year and uh so he died peacefully at home with his whole family and if there was a way to go it, he went the right way but right. um he he developed a late onset of uh it's called bulbar als so it's a form of als that it attacks your limbs and all that and you know the good news is is that uh mentally it doesn't affect that so my dad's always been the smartest guy i've ever known or been around and so although they lose their ability to talk and some other things you can still communicate via writing and 
it, we've we've forged amazing memories in the past, which we'll talk a little bit about. But um, it was a really tender nine months because I was over there probably had the ability to go over there six days a week. When you say go over there. To his house. Gotcha. And um, watch movies, hang out, ask him questions on the whiteboard, tell story, and do a lot of different things that you might not normally do. We spend a lot of time anyways. But if you didn't know that your pop was going to face the inevitable. So right. you have the time to actually um, spend additional time with him and have it be really special times. Right. I can't imagine on, on many levels, because as special as they are, I'm sure it's friggin' gut-wrenching and hard to see this person that yes. you put on a pedestal your, your entire existence and to see him struggling and approaching that final destination, it must be really friggin' hard. Yeah, you know what it is? I, I thought about this, day for like 25 years. I mean, we worked together for... 20 plus years at the sports arena. He'd run the hockey team. I ran the building. Sure. He started the West Coast Hockey League in 1995 when the goals of the IHL just decided in March of 95, like, we think the arena is a fucking problem. We're leaving and we're going up to Long Beach. Or actually, at that time, we're going to LA. Uh. Like, let's go to the LA sports arena. That's a great spot for family entertainment. Right. And it lasted one year there. But they left us with a hole in hockey leaving. And um, so... Yeah, and my dad, and a lot of people play victims or whatever, my dad was always the smartest guy. He figured it out within a month it created the West Coast Hockey League, and five months later, so the same year in, in October of 95, the fucking puck is dropping, and we've got six teams in the West Coast Hockey League, including our own, and he saved hockey in San Diego. So we talked a lot about those kind of things over the last nine months, um, and then a lot of it was just being present and being right. with them and it is hard i was getting i'm getting back to like he's the patriarch of the family he's the guy that i have ultimate reverence for right and you never want to you know they always say like in football you know offensive lineman goes down next man up right like i didn't want to be the next man up like yeah. i i get that but at some point you become the next man exactly up and you got to be there for your mom and the rest of your family and that's where i am now and i couldn't be more proud to do it it's just um uh, he was a hell of a fucking guy just a just a great dad, a great mentor, uh, a great human being, civic leader, and uh, just like I said, the smartest guy I've ever met to date. I could just, I just, the stuff he could do with his brain was amazing. Yeah, and I've never lost a parent. My my parents are both living, but I, I'm sure there are plenty of people right now listening that can relate to your position as it relates to that. You know, you said he was sick for a year, and you knew the inevitable. Are you ever really ready for it? No, I don't think you are. I mean, and, and you don't like seeing people deteriorate, right? And I think that is the beauty. There's no beauty of ALS, but when you talk about Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, and all that, like like people lose their mind. So in their mind, their body's healthy and they're talking to you, but like if you were talking to that individual, they're probably telling you the same story 40 times in yep. a row. Yep. And so that's really, it's hard on them. It's really hard on the family. In our case, I did feel bad it was harder on him because he's watching his body kind of deteriorate Oof, around right. him, which is frustrating because his brain is he's still lucid, operating right. and is just like he's still the smartest guy in the room. We were sitting there during the uh, playoffs of baseball this year, and uh, Minnesota Twins are playing against one of the teams. I forget who they're playing in the playoffs. Guy, Minnesota Twins, hits a home run, runs around, comes in there, and then goes into the dugout, and they all have their different celebration. They put on a jacket on him. You know, we got the sombreros. They got a jacket there. And I don't know much about Minnesota. I've never been to Minnesota. I should probably know this fact, but it looks what it says, like a thousand on the front of it. Right. Lakes. 
And I go, a thousand legs. And I kind of just talk as a, now my dad at this point can't talk, but he's got the whiteboard. He can, you know, kind of grunts or make a, make a noise like right. he wants your attention or use his hands. And so a thousand legs and I hear this, uh, I look over and he goes, he's shaking his head. <laughs> he writes on the whiteboard and he turns it around. 10,000, 10,000 lakes. <laughs> like get it fucking right. Still correcting you. <laughs> He's, he was still running the show right. all the way probably to the last week. He is, is he wanted his Pepsi right here. He wanted it with five ice cubes. He wanted his, his glasses would be here. His tissues were here. Um, yeah. wanted to know where his dog was at all times. He just, um, he knew he, he, he was a man that was in control of his environment and right. knew exactly what he wanted to do. I respect that. Yeah. So let's talk about his legacy a yeah. little bit because it dates before your dad. It goes back to your grandfather, right? Yeah. yeah. So let's start there. Well, my grandpa, uh, Ernie, who I'm named after, um, you know, he's, he's the regional, uh, he was the pioneer of the regional mall as you know it. Um, and so he developed over 50 regional malls. When I say regional, big malls in big suburban cities. Like when you think Mission Valley Mall, Fashion Valley, yeah. so, UTC. Exactly. So for example, in San Diego, the malls that my grandpa did, that my dad was involved with in the Han Company were Fashion Valley. That's, we moved to San Diego in 1969 so my dad could, they, when they finished building Fashion Valley, my dad could manage Fashion Valley and at that time, my dad, there was no property management. So he wasn't part of the development. He was the manager he, of. He was. Or? He was involved. But they needed somebody to come and manage. It was just as my grandpa was starting his first couple malls. And Fashion Valley was, you know, uh, which originally was where Westgate uh, Ballpark was. Sure. It came down for Fashion Valley. Um, dad moves the family down here. I'm born in Santa Barbara. A year and a half later, we moved down here. My sister's born just right after that. But. He's managing Fashion Valley as it's and helping it get it completed and finished, but they realized that they needed a property management division. Okay, they're developing these malls, but they need to manage these malls. They need to manage the leases and all that. So, my dad was just so smart he had figured that. Out. So he started. He became the president of the Han Company at some point, but prior to that, he ran all of the property management divisions. So there were fifty regional malls. He would go help open all the malls. He had his agents, worked with the other agents locally to lease all of the malls. What were the malls called at this time? Were so they, they were still called, you know, Fashion Valley was, was called Fashion Valley. It was Valley just Fashion back Valley, then. okay. The University Town Center was done in 1975, 77. And your family was part of that too. Right, my dad was out there. He tells the story of being out there. He had to do the, the sound and the ordinance surveys for like the wildlife. And he talks about being out, you know, all there was back then was La Jolla Country Day where I went to school. And sagebrush, right? Out in that area. It wasn't the Golden Triangle, which my grandpa developed later. That's how it became the Golden Triangle. Damn. But, but my dad was out there. He talks about with like a noise monitor and all that stuff. And all there is is jackrabbits and coyotes running by him. You know, early evening and all that stuff. And he he remembers vividly. UTC was one of his favorite malls that he was ever involved with. But my dad then had the management group, regional managers, general managers of each one of those places, and then put in a leasing form and so my dad was you know oversaw over probably twenty one thousand leases over his Dang. lifetime for all the tenants that came into these malls and over 50 malls and then um so this obviously extended into other states as well it did yeah it went to all states it went you know pretty much western united states okay. they did some further east but in san diego university town center uh north county fair wow. fashion valley horton plaza of course which was 
my, my, when my grandpa developed that in the early 80s, changed all of downtown. Horton Plaza created the gas lamp area. Yep. And so that changed from just being seedy in the Stingery District and all of that. It, it revitalized San Diego. So my dad was That's fascinating behind the scenes on all of that stuff, getting all those leases done, all the property management, and um, just was always one step ahead of everybody else, was smarter than everybody else. Um, so you knew he was a baller when you were a kid. You're oh, like, yeah. dude, my but dad's I did, but the I, shit. He, I, I did, but I have really only, what makes him so unique and so great is I really only knew him as as dad early on, right? This was the guy that when he showed back up, you know, he surfed a ton back then, so he was super cool. He surfed going back to the 60s up in, you know, he went to school up at Chadwick, uh, which is the private uh, prep school up in Palos Verdes. So he surfed up at Portuguese Bend and all Damn. the spots up there. He was a like a used to compete as well. He was a really good surfer. I saw some pictures you posted. You look like Skip Fry, just like freaking chiseled, shredded, doing that, shred, just he, on the nose, just I mean, cruising. I'm like, love. whoa, that's iconic. Like he's one of the early iconic surfers. All those guys, Skip Fry, and all that back in town here, and he he uh, so he loved to surf. Surf with the irons, you know. Um, with Rick Irons and his parents and, you know, up in the Laguna area back then. So he just surfing was a much smaller group back then in the early sixties than we know it today when we're fighting for our waves, oh. you know, whether it's been, and, and as you know, as from the pandemic, it seems like it's, it's so doubled. Gnarly. It's doubled. I was just telling my friend, <laughs> I go down to the break. Now I used to know 90% of the people. Yeah, yeah. Now I know 10%, yeah. 90%. I'm like, who the hell? What the what? same thing with me at black. It's, so it's, it's like it doubled. It's like it doubled overnight, but he'd spend the time out there. But I, what I, what I knew him as, he always wanted me to, you know, we lived in Del Mar. We originally, we moved down here, we moved to PB, and then we moved up to Del Mar in 73 and had this amazing house up there. And he always wanted me to surf. I would boogie board back then. He'd even boogie board with me. Like I remember walking into Long's Drugs and getting with boogie boards. With some Churchills. He knew Doyle and he would surf with Doyle. And, and so my dad, one of the proudest moments, I remember walking into that place and they had just come out and we walked in and he buys me a blue one. He gets a yellow one. And um, we're boogie boarding together. He always wanted me to surf. Um, back then, on 11th Street, we were a block up from it. Back then, it doesn't exist anymore. There were all the big kelp beds back then. Right. You know, right off the water. That's okay. where they were living. And abalone and all that stuff. Wow. The kelp beds actually scared me. I'd see the kelp beds. I'm like, I, I don't know. Fuck yeah. I can't. What's I can't, in there? What's lurking surf? in yeah, there? I, so I boogie board with them. And um, ultimately, I, ended up, I, learned, I learned to surf when I was about 12 he had just stopped surfing because he had three of the surfer ears operation back then. And back then it wasn't like it is today where like, you know, delicate and chisel as he described it, they fucking cut off your ear, pin it forward and then just get a drill in there and just start dr drilling I was out. say a chisel yeah. or something. That yeah. is and they, and gnarly. They, and he said back then they told him after his third one, if they have to do it again, he'd lose the hearing. So he stayed out of the water a lot after that. Damn. Um, but, um, yeah, he was, he was, I just knew him. He'd come home, he'd throw the football with me. We'd play baseball together. He coached me in baseball. And you just he had one sister. So you one were, younger sister. You're the only, yeah, you're the first, man. And I was the, like, like, we just did everything together. And he taught me how to, he taught me how to surf. He taught me how to play golf. He taught me how to play baseball. He coached me in baseball, soccer, tennis. We played a ton of tennis. So all of these sports and these hand-eye coordination things and gifts that I have today I got because of him and he just always participated with me and um and it's great because now whether i'm surfing or i'm golfing nowadays at 56 years old 
I can do it at a high level, but I wouldn't have been able to do any of that without him. Right. He always made the time to be present and be with me or take me to Padre games back then. We'd go to goals games back in the old Western Hockey League, Mariners games. So prior to us getting involved on the adventure together with the sports arena back right. in 1991, 92, we had actually been to the sports arena a ton just as family and enjoy it. They used to have season tickets right down in uh, what would be lower level two uh, seats, uh, one and two in the front row, right across from the visitor's penalty box. And my mom would go with them and some amazing stories. One night my mom was given, you know, the guy on the other, you know, in the penalty box grief and he got really pissed off. He was calling her a bunch of names <laughs> and actually tried to come over the glass. Was, my daddy was yelling at him. No, like, that's awesome. Just fun stuff going back to the area. But so the mall days, he was amazing. They sold that company back in 1981, uh, my grandpa did. Um, and my dad stayed on for about a year as the president didn't like the direction it was headed. And so he quit. And then he started his own company called Land Grant Development, which was a regional shopping center developer, 350 to 700,000 square feet. The kind of malls you'd see like with a Target and a bank. and Okay. More be, of, yeah, the suburban, the sprawl yeah. kind of. Yeah, it. kind of like a, you know. You know, not as high end, more retail, more sprawly, exactly. Kinda. More like your <laughs> a bigger community center versus like a regional mall. Right, it's huge. Right, um, but still big and still with big tenants and yeah. Um, so he did that, and um, he opened that in '84. Uh, I worked for him. Um, I, I interned a couple of years when I was at Santa Clara. I'd come home in the summertime. I learned. I did leasing one summer, and I did um, contracts another summer. And after I graduated from Santa Clara, I came down and I worked there as a uh, uh, contracts administrator was the title. I, I called it firefighter. I was working with all the tenants from Temecula to down here. And if they had a problem, this I was dealing with. Them. Now you're working not. for your dad. Did you guys ever butt heads? You know, we really didn't. Because this know. sounds so like this relationship with your dad. There are a lot of people out there that had just quite the opposite relationship with their fathers. Like this is this is stuff of. This is like a Norman Rockwell painting. You know, <laughs> it's just, it's beautiful. He was always respectful. Uh, I think I always listened. Um, and I would say a lot of times I've maybe not been a great listener, but I listened to him. He just knew his stuff. Yeah. And uh, every day was a lesson in life growing up, whether I was playing baseball and he was telling me things about learning, watching his mannerisms, how he treated my mom, whatever it was, how he treated his partners. Did he tell you he was proud of you? Yeah. He did yeah. a lot, yeah. and uh, which is which obviously feels amazing. You at some point you realize what your gifts are in life, right? You're 53 now. You know what you're really good at. I'm 56. I know what I'm really good at. I also know the stuff that I'm not as good at, and I also know like <laughs> more I'm, now than ever. If I'm going to build a team, you build the people with those strengths that you don't have, and with respect and dignity and honor. And um, what was special about him is that you know just. I realized at an early age, just like anybody else, I meant, I'm never going to be as smart as this guy. This guy is just like Mensa book smart. He probably read 6,000 books in his life. Um, this is the guy who'd come home from work. We'd throw the ball around. Mom would get the dinner going. He'd be listening to the Eagles or Jackson Brown on these amazing speakers that he had. He'd remaster shit back then when it was reel to reel. Then it became cassette. Then it became CD to the point where the last 10 years, He's taking these 16-bit CDs. It's the kind of stuff you would fucking love. And <laughs> it's not good enough yeah. as an audiophile. So he's got 
these amazing machines that take the CD, it breaks it down and it pulls out the bass, it pulls out the guitar, it pulls out the drum and all this stuff. It remasters so it makes all these it, stems. Remasters right. it into a 24-bit CD for the ultimate, you know, so one of his greatest gifts that he gave to me and others too over the years is he, he spent tens of thousands of hours in his music room. Oh, At I love one this. point, like, I, and I think about it now, we didn't know each other as well back then. He had over 8,000 vinyls. Oh. And they were all in perfect condition. Oh. And from everything, and all categorized, and or, you know, from alphabetical, from the Beatles' first album all the way through, that guy could tell you the first track on. On My Abbey, Abbey Road or no. whatever it was, and you like Dylan too, big Bob Dylan oh, guy. Huge Dylan fan. Yeah, he had everything he had, everything that Dylan ever did, everything yep. the Beatles, everybody like Tom and Rush, then, everything. And yeah. then he got into CDs when that came, and then he, you know, at his at his home right now. I was just looking yesterday. You know, there's five thousand CDs on right. the wall right there, and they're all organized. <laughs> um, I'll tell you an amazing story about him. So, like, he always made time. So I learned a lot about him, but. But what was really cool about his music, in addition to this, because he spent so much time giving the gift to music. So if you knew that Chris Cantore liked the Eagles and the Beatles and this and that, first of all, he's created the the greatest rock and roll mix of all time, where he's gone through in each one of the years during those decades and all the best songs remastered that he has. So I'm gonna have to come over. We'll play it sometime and show. Oh, you. I would you, love it. You would love this. I'd it's, freak. It's, it's, you'd freak. But what was? Um, Equally as special is when he got into these projects. Like he would come home from work, he'd be working on that. He'd have the music in the background recording. Okay, I'll challenge myself, my brain again. I'll work on a five thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, like like on a huge table. Or he got into you know he'd always do the Sunday morning New York Times crossword puzzle. By the way, almost impossible to do. Yes, and he didn't do it in pencil. Old school. Our dad Inc. should have been buddies, man. My dad had the same. I'm, I'm sitting here shaking my head going, oh, I know all about the New York. I couldn't get one. I couldn't get one. I wake up and I, I'd be looking at the sports page and they're over there. He, he'd have it out proudly for everybody to see. He'd get up at six in the morning. He'd have it done by 6.15. Yep. And it's there. Once again, old school and ink. There's no eraser marks. Hell no. You go and you better get it right on the first get or it doesn't fit. That's amazing. And I'd be looking at that too. And I'd, I'd always take it. Chris, and I look at it and I go, I, I don't know one of these Literally answers. one. I, I, I'd get I like know. one or two, and I go, and half the words he'd have in there are acronyms I had never even heard of. <laughs> and so he was That's amazing. Uh, his music was special. And so. So he obviously passed that on to you as well. Uh, Needless to say, your uh, love for music. Love for music. Love yeah. that. We loved being at all the concerts together for all the years when we took over the arena. So the bottom line is so many amazing experiences, but. One of his gift too with his brain is he went on a lot of civic boards. He helped a lot of people out. He loaned out money. He he uh, started people's businesses. He mentored people. Yeah. And as you send this stuff out, as somebody's not doing well, you start hearing from all these people that said, if it wasn't for your dad, this wouldn't happen. Dot, dot, dot. I spent yeah. four hours with your dad one day and it changed my whole business and I changed my whole platform of my business. And there's so many of these tentacles that are out there left um, a legacy he left a legacy and like i said the hockey league creates this hockey league out of nowhere and then from 1995 to 2003 we win five championships uh bring back professional hockey to san diego win five championships in eight years three in a row and some of those stories like just 
you know, the first year we won in Fresno, second year we win up in Alaska, Anchorage, Alaska. So it's like Fresno, San Diego, Bakersfield, Reno. So at this point, are you managing the arena yourself? Yeah, I'm okay. managing the arena. So at this time in 95, when the hockey team starts, um, there was a different general manager. I was the business manager at that time. I came on as the event coordinator in 1991. So how did your dad get involved with the sports arena then? So it's a good question. So so he was a developer, land grant development. Right. And doing the retail sprawl, you know, those I go outlets. on this surf trip around the world. I'm working for his company for nine months. But I told him, my best friend is graduating. I'm going to go on this surf trip around the world. I understand if I don't have a job when I get back. And he goes, I think you should go on that trip. There'll always be a job for you, but if you want to do something else, that's fine. But he goes, you'll never get a time like this to go away for three months, probably the rest of your life. So yeah. you should go. Now, the president of his company, who I won't mention his name, said, you know, if you leave, you don't have a job when you get back and you should, should not leave. And so I told my dad, I said, I, I think I should go. And he goes, you should go. Forget what he's saying. Right. You know, I got your back, one. But two, you'll never get time like this. So I get a backpack. I get a surfboard. Two, two surfboards, a backpack, um, a sleeping bag, and my best friend and I, Kevin, since first grade, go on this trip around the world. We do a week in Tahiti. We do two weeks in New Zealand. We do six weeks in Australia and six weeks in Indonesia. Damn. And we just are youth hostels and sleeping bags the whole way, surfing the best worlds on the planet. The waves, yeah. The waves, and, and just... Um, but I come back, I'll never forget, I'm in New Zealand... On a payphone, you know, it's hard for a lot of people to remember. Yeah, there weren't yeah, cell phones. Had to use a payphone. There was no internet. There were no text messaging. It's one eight hundred collect. It's one eight hundred collect or something of that nature. <laughs> and I'm on a payphone, and my dad goes, "What do you know about the arena?" And I go, "What are you talking about?" He goes, "Well, there may be this opportunity to purchase the leasehold of the arena, and I'm thinking there's an opportunity to maybe build a new arena in San Diego." and do some really cool things. And so the thought always with that property was back in, you know, the name of our company was Arena Group 2000. It was to have a new arena by the year 2000. It was to it was to acquire the leasehold interest of the existing arena, which we So did. who owned it at that point? A guy named Harry Cooper and Richard Esquinas okay. back at that time. Um, and it, I went down in, in July of 91 when I come back from the surf trip I started as event coordinator. We haven't taken over yet, but he wanted to put me down there for a year, wanted me to learn everything while we were in this long escrow and also get back to him like, what's going on down there? Right. Like, I, I want to know about this business. It's very loose to me. I'm into development. I know how that runs. This is sports and entertainment. It's a little loosey-goosey. A lot of shit going on. And, and there was a lot of shit yeah. going on. My type of environment. <laughs> I'm like, let's lot, roll. There's a lot of shit going Here on. Here we go. And so I was there for about a year. Um was an event coordinator. I learned all the position. I, I worked as an usher. I worked as a ticket taker. I did changeovers so at you night. You started at the bottom. At the bottom. I, I yeah. had to learn everything. That's the way my dad did. You didn't start as a GM. Fuck that. No, I had to learn everything. <laughs> and after about half a year, they kind of threw the book at me because the general manager at that time was playing golf and doing stuff, and he didn't want to really work that much. So they gave me the book, and I'm now booking, and I'm 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 working as a event coordinator at night, but now I'm I got the big book. You know, the book that somebody says, Hey, hold a date for Elton John or whatever. Like I'm doing that and I'm learning and it's baptism by fire within a year. Uh, I resigned because it, the deal goes South. It's not going to happen. And I remember having tears. I went in and resigned to the GM and said, I, you know, obviously it's my family. I got to stay with my family and I've worked, I've given you everything I had and, and I leave. Um, four months go th past 
between July of, of 91 and November of 91. And during that time period, they were able to work it out. And we closed on the arena. Um, in what year is this now? So, so I worked from July of 91 to June of 92. Okay. I was off for about four months when I resigned because they couldn't get the deal done. And in November of 1992, Arena Group 2000, which was a group of local investors, my dad and other prominent people that you would know their names of, closed on the lease of the sports arena in November of 92. I immediately at that point started as the business manager because we needed to build more shows and more revenue, Damn. we needed more sponsors. Uh, and that's really what I did for that. I was the, and then. And did, live music was incredible during was incredible. that time. We were doing, I mean, that's Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Pumpkins. I mean, one of my favorite. When I was working there, Chris. And I'm just thinking of the shows I saw there at that time. <laughs> I'm just trying to think, yeah. I, I just think back in just the month of January of 1992. I'd right. been there for six months. And that month we had two sold out, um, two sold out Guns N' Roses. This is just the January. With Soundgarden. With Soundgarden. I mean, two Guns N' Roses, uh, two Metallicas. That's the one where they filmed Enter Sandman and the video and all that from with the, the arena. Pit, with yeah. the pit in the middle. That was, that was a... Um, a sold out rush and a sold out um, cult all in that one month alone. So it was a different era of music, right? And the sports arena was the only thing around. And do you meet in the bands at this point too? Occasionally. Occasionally. You know, I always yeah. took a, I took a line of, of they have a job to do and we have a job to do. I only wanted to meet the bands really if we had a presentation or later on in 19, uh, in 2009, when I started that poster program at the arena, We'd present it to the artist and get a couple signed copies that we'd put up around the arena. Um, I wanted to give them something they wouldn't normally have. Right. When you give them trinkets or sweaters or like, they don't, it just goes to roadies. They, yeah. That shit's not going home. But create something meaningful. So in uh, November of '92, I started as a business manager and start learning more and more. And I'm driving revenue. I'm I'm talking to agents directly. I'm I'm talking to managers directly, which they weren't doing at the building. So hungry to get more shows into the building. And then in 96, um, I become uh, the, the general manager. So I'm young. I'm, I mean, in 96, I'm 20, yeah, like 29 years old. Yeah, I was going to say, like, late like 20s. A lot of, I, I never looked at it as pressure, but I look back now and go, there's a lot of pressure on a 29-year-old to kind of deliver. And I'm fighting, by the way, we're trying to make it better. I'm trying to fight perceptions and all that. I'll never forget, I was listening one day to you coming in, probably a 91X, and you're talking about the sports aroma, which you used to love, <laughs> love, love to give the sports aroma. And I, th I think I even reached out to you at one point. I'm like, you're like, give us a break. We need to make, we need to make it better as well. But that was my life for so many years. Every day doing that 30 minute drive in, I'd surf in the morning, come in, I'd yeah. shower, shower right there on site, be at my desk by eight thirty nine, and then work till a lot of times one in the morning, depending on if there was a show going on. But he gave me that platform. I had already learned all of the business. Right. He trusted in me. And in 95, when he starts the hockey program, he's running the hockey program. I'm running the building next to him. But every day I'm seeing him. We're having lunch together. We're talking about it's the amazing. business. He's teaching me about Dude. the business. You know, I remember being in meetings where I'd come out of the meeting and go, oh my God, that's going to be a great deal. Awesome. He looks at me and goes, that, that deal's going to go nowhere. And I go, what are you talking about? We just... We never argue, but this would be a great example. Right. He asked me, I go, what are you talking about? Like we, we, he goes, it's not going to happen. I go, I think you're wrong. He goes, well, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. And of course it wouldn't happen. And I go, how did you know that? He goes, son, I've, I've been in so many of these meetings. I've done so many of these things. And, uh, he goes, well, how would you know not to make that mistake or run it at all? He goes, well, and this is another Ron Hahn 
he had a couple good quotes. He goes, when you step on your dick hard enough and it really, really hurts, you tend to never make that mistake again. (laughs) And now use whatever analogy, stepping on a dick or whatever it is at that point, when you really get hurt by something in life on something maybe that you shouldn't have done or it just, you couldn't control it, you tend not to make that mistake again. You learn from it. And it's Mark. And he had learned from all these business meetings and decisions and leasing 40 million square feet at the Han company and all those things. He kept carrying that with him and he kept learning. Yeah. Like and said. I'm sure there were failures along the way. It's easy Always. to talk about the accomplishments, but I'm Always. sure there were projects plenty, that bombed. Plenty of, plenty of failures. I mean, the hockey team, we had to stop the hockey team in 2006 after 11 years because it was losing too much money at that yeah. time. And we had, had to move on. So he didn't have that same relationship with his dad growing up. His dad was changing the world with mall development. His dad, as amazing as he was in so many great ways, and what he did for San Diego and all that, there were sacrifices that were that had to be made. And his sacrifice was to go on and change the world in business. And he didn't, he couldn't be at my dad's little league games. He wasn't around to do those things that I got. It was a pattern that my dad didn't want in his life with his kids. I was going to say he broke the cycle. Broke the I'm cycle. Sure your dad was just as busy. Just busy. He just broke. He the cycle. broke the cycle. He he always made every one of my games, and so he just knew enough. Don't book a fucking meeting here that time, or if you book it, you can. I'm not going to be there. Yeah. I'm going to be at my son's game from three to five, and book me on either side. And good on your dad because it's so easy to repeat that behavior, and then look at the influence it had on you with your kids. Because well, you thing. could have repeated the behavior. Yeah, I, I uh, one, I appreciate the chance to be able to come and talk about my dad because he had such an influence on sports and entertainment in this town with, yes. that, with that arena for long. And it's funny, you, see, you, know, you brought up that time where, uh, you know, the whole sports aroma and stuff, that came from a place of uh, <laughs> my love for the building. Right. It's still to this day one of my favorite places to see a show. Right. I, mean, I mean, you talk about... there too, right? I mean, yeah, it's, you just, it's just, it has that true... Like anytime I hear it's something at VA House Arena, I'm like, fuck. But sports arena, I'm like, bring it, dude. It's just old school, it's right? Old it's old school. It's, it's got plenty of good, it's got its bad, but you know what it would um, I love to see an Acrisure Arena like that's out in Palm Springs go over there? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, we all would. And that think- being said, I still love going to shows there. I'll never forget when I was a kid reading Circus Magazine yeah, and interviews with Motley Crue and they're saying like, where's your favorite place to play? And they're like, San Diego Sports Arena. You know, and then the whole almost Kiss famous Alive thing. and all yeah. that stuff. And almost Kiss. famous. I did that deal when Cameron came down and and um, yeah, it, it and that's why we wanted to like when we started that poster program uh, in 2009. With all the artists and stuff. With Mel, yeah. who's, who's since passed yeah. so that poster program ended with Mel passing about a year and a half ago. And, um, yeah, we just wanted to do something really cool. And the first show we do is kiss. It's their you know, reunion tour. Part one. Or whatever yeah. It's <laughs> first yeah, of 50. And it's 2009. And we got the poster right there. I've done my research. Kiss has played the building nine times prior to that. And I've got every one of those shows, kiss and Montrose kiss and cheap trick kiss and this with the dates in the background but it's all kind of you have to look for it because it's all kind of like subdued, a collage a right. collage into this you know this amazing poster that mel did and um it's our first night and i told everybody i said we'll eventually get a show because of these posters one and i go two we're giving some of the artists are going to love and remember that they want to keep and get framed for themselves yep. so there it is gene simmons about nine feet tall in his boots he walks out and we got the table set up or 
going to have him sign a couple and present it to him. And he walks over and he goes, he's looking at reading it. And if you've seen from his, you know, all his stuff, he's got that memorabilia beyond belief, oh, right? God, yeah, he's yeah. crazy. And he looks at me and he goes, am I going to get one of those? Yeah. And, and I go, <laughs> and I go, you sure are? And he goes, that's fucking cool. Really cool. And then all of a sudden, Paul Stanley walks out right behind him and looks at me, looks at the poster, looks at Gene, and he looks at Gene and he goes, am I going to get one of those? And, I, no. and he goes, and I look at him and I go, yeah, you are. He goes, oh, fucking cool. And then Ace comes out. Dude. And Ace looks at both of them and he looks at that poster and he looks at me and he goes, am I going to get one of them? I mean, all independently on their own. And I'm like, this is why we're doing this program. Yeah. Because guys that are worth $100 million, $200 million, I don't know what they're worth, a lot. You got one of the coolest merch. You know, he's got one of the coolest memorabilia. You know, if you've seen his old show with, with Gene Simmons stuff. And he recognized that. And he saw, and he's like, look at Montrose. He's like, oh my God, I remember it. And he's seen all of these other groups that were a support. And, and you know, back then, as you know better than anybody else, the record label, it worked. So if, if, yeah, you if I'm on Island band. Records, if I'm on yep. Island Records and you're Island Records and I'm the Jay Giles band, for example, here's a great example of it. And in 1982, I am headlining yep. my support with one of the other biggest groups coming through Island Records, in this case, U2, is the support. And it's amazing. That's, and Bono told me that story. That was the first time they played that building because he remembered the sports Bono arena. Bono loves the sports arena. And he talks about, we opened up for the Jay Giles yeah. band. They got a... They got, friggin' U2 kicked off a tour with two nights 2005, yeah. March 28th and 30th of 2005. Parents. It was amazing, the, the Vertigo tour. And so yeah. he would tell us those stories. None of this is possible without Ron Hahn. Yeah. And bringing, first of all, you had to raise the, the $18 million, first of all, to get the leasehold interest in that building. And um, it's a lot of money. A lot of money back Especially in 1991. In the 90s. Yeah. So, how did you guys end up losing the sports arena? I, I, you didn't want to lose it, obviously, right? Let's be really clear about Todd Glory and everybody. They, they completely fucked us in what's going on right now. It's unbelievable. The development group that has that is still in negotiation for the development if it ever happens So you got there. kicked out because the lease expired. Well, the lease, is that correct? The lease, yeah. The lease had been extended from 21 to 24. Okay. We were back in there with ASM Global to do a lease extension for another three years until they figure out what the development's going to look like. Right. There. We're like, hey, if you're going to get hundreds of millions of dollars from somebody to come redevelop this and the group that's promised the new arena, whatever that's going to look like, promised all this development of which it's changing now. They don't want to do a hotel. They don't want to do some of the other stuff that's there. By the way, I'm fine with all of that stuff, but the group that's fucking been there for 33 years, that's never taken a dollar from the city of San Diego to make that place better. They kicked us out of the building and gave this other group that doesn't even manage arenas. Yep. The ability to come in, which is going to be this June, actually, actually it'll be this August, August 1st, that group's coming in. They gave them a year and a half lease with extensions to run this building on the tens of millions of dollars that we've put in that building. And and what I what's incredulous to me, and I've tried to meet, meet with the mayor and talk about this, and it would be very easy for them just to give us a lease extension. We make them a ton of money, and we put all the money into it, is extend us. When you get that development deal done and you're ready to actually take the arena down and develop a new arena, we get it. Right. Give us six months notice and we're out. But to fucking kick us out of the building after this, 33 years yeah. and put a group that you don't even have a fucking deal with right now, 
in the building, they don't have a deal yet. They're still negotiating what that looks like. There's a chance that this group doesn't even get it done at the end of the day. And they were given the leasehold interest of the arena to operate the arena on the hard work in our backs. I won't ever forgive that. I can't ever, I, you know, and, and Todd should know is a San Diegan as well and what we've done over that time. And where's it, this group from that currently has it? I'm uh, sure you know, it's, le it's legends that came in and it's also a local group um, with Zephyr and Brad Termini. Not bad people. I've worked with all of them in the past. Has nothing to do as much about them. They'd be saying the same thing right now if, if it was me. Situations and they'd been here the whole time. Right. And they can understand that. Of course. There's no reason these How guys can you not? there's no reason these guys deserve to have the leasehold to run the building. We should still be running the building as we've been doing. And when you're ready to take the building down and they build their new sixteen or nineteen thousand seat building, give them the ability to do it at that point. They don't even have a deal done and set yet, and they may never get it's a deal. It's such done. a cluster, man. So it's just it's just not right. And that kind of broke my dad's heart as well to see how that went down at the end. Um that all the time, all the effort with all the mayors that we've done deals and extensions with, with my dad and uh, my grandpa and the 50 years of dealing with the city of San Diego to literally fucking chop us at the knees and just let us kind of just bleed out at that point with all the time and effort money put in there. I would tell you that um, he's looking down from us just going. Um, and I think from Todd's standpoint, uh, good, bad and different. It's I mean, it's incredulous to me that he'd allow that to happen. I tried to jump in the middle of my, our partners wouldn't let me initially jump in with ASM Global. Um, and then they put me in in the last couple of minutes, hey, see if you can turn this thing around. But it was garbage time at that point, like trying, yep. to, trying to get 50 points. You're down 50 points, put somebody in with two minutes left. These people completely screwed us in the end and it's not right. And um, so, but it was amazing, an amazing run while we had it and while we did it. Well, and that's dad, yeah. I hate I, ending on this note. No, but I'm saying it, it's important it's, to say that because it's it's this amazing legacy. Yeah, and and handshake deals and doing things the right way, and yet we're in a world today where at any given time somebody literally just cuts you. Yeah, and, and you and I've talked about this on it's radio. We've we talked live about in. the world, and there's the integrity and respect that should be there. We've lost a lot of that stuff. So I think there's that part of the world that my dad is really happy to be gone from he would yeah. be shaking his head over the last 10 years and just saying i don't understand how people treat people this way i don't understand when somebody shakes your hand somebody tells you you're going to do this they don't yep. or they just file a lawsuit or whatever he couldn't understand that mentality nor could my grandpa and yeah. they, they just didn't have it but so, what separates them from all these other motherfuckers yeah. is their legacy lives on right. and they have a true flag in this city and people know that Exactly. People know that. And you everybody else are just freaking phonies, it's not dude. A PR, it's a grift. It's not a PR statement or a, no. a list or whatever. People know that. So the love and respect and yeah, the tributes blood, that have been coming. tears, freaking hard work, amazing. sweat, everything, man. I don't care if you were a developer that was worth half a billion dollars or an usher or a ticket taker at the arena. My dad would come by and talk to you and he'd have meaningful thoughts um, because he cared. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. He cared. He had an amazing brain that was better than yours and mine, and, and it just and I keep saying that because I've never seen. I've, I get it. I was I was in meetings with, with bankers, and they'd have the calculators out. My dad would go four million two hundred and seventy two thousand dollars. Banker five five seconds later have the number. Yeah. Then that would go on for three or four times. Finally, we're getting the deal done. The president of the bank looks over and they say, "Well, what if we do this, 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 and this?" And the guy starts on his calculator again, and he goes, "Stop." And he goes, Ron, what's the number? 2700000 yeah. We got a deal done. So 
that's a great way. He was just ahead of everybody. He had the answers, but in the end, you always need good people around you. And, and um, so he, he leaves a legacy of so many uh, lessons and love uh, and respect. And uh, that's what people will remember him by. And, and he did what he said he was going to do at all times. And he left behind a son who loves him and is proud of him. And I, I want to keep this. I've, I've tried to, you know, I think we've done a pretty good job at this point. I'm going to work even harder. And, and as I use the analogy here, he may be gone from this physical world. Uh, the analogy I would use is if I'm, if I'm in a little sports car right now, I'm driving the sports car for the next 30 or 40 years of my life, however long I'm blessed to have. My fucking dad is sitting shotgun with me right there, and he's he's giving me advice with all the stuff Amen. he's given my whole life, and he's with me everywhere I go. Hell and, yeah! And uh, I'm still his biggest fan, and I know he's still mine. So it's, thank uh, you for bringing special. him through today. Yeah, thank you, bud. Appreciate it. All right, that does it for this episode, and thank you for joining us here. A new season of the show, and um, it's been cool. It's uh, taken me a while to get to this place again, putting myself out there, but it feels good, and I hope it feels good for you. And uh, in closing, do want to let you know I've got uh, more episodes coming in the very near future. I'd tell you with who, but I like keeping things a surprise these days. I used to do nothing but tease and big book and all that stuff and now I just prefer to uh, just stay quiet, silent and just give you what I got when I got it. Okay? Enjoy your day. Enjoy your week. Thank you for being here. Be sure to subscribe and if you want to contribute on the Patreon, that's all good but otherwise, just thanks for being here and thanks for being you as I close with some Lil Yachty freaking love this new record from Little Yachty. His earlier stuff was a little too trappy for me and mumbly, but this one, this new record he has, which is entitled, hold on, what's the new record called? Let's start here. But I love this track here. This is my favorite on the record. Mm. This is called Running Out of Time. Until next time. Mm.